Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I think he's one of the best baseball writers in the country. We're joined now by Travis Sawchick. He's a uh, baseball writer over at The Score. You can follow him on Twitter at his name, Travis underscore Sawchick, S-A-W-C-H-I-K. He joins us via the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line. Travis, we appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. How you doing, my friend? I'm hanging in there. Wish we had, you know, spring training going on like everybody else, but uh, we can only watch and wait. It's all we can do right now. And I wanted to have you on because I think you've done great work on uh, what's taken place over really the last few months with the CBA negotiations and especially over the last two weeks or so. Uh, Let's start here. What's the biggest holdup in your mind? Like when when we decide or when the sides decided not to come to a deal the other day, what do you think was the single biggest thing? If you can name one that prevented that from taking place. Yeah, it is the it's the luxury tax, the the CBT thresholds, or the the owners do not want to move advance them uh, much above where they were in the last CBA agreement, and the players uh, they want a pretty significant bump because the the rate of the the tax threshold growth has trailed MLB revenues by quite a quite a great deal over the last 20 or so years. Uh, if you look at 2003 to 2019 MLB revenue growth, uh, I cut it off there because that's uh, the pre-COVID years, which have kind of warped everything in the short term. But if you look at that period, MLB revenue grew about 6% on average each year, and uh, the tax level grew about 2%. And uh, and the the MLB proposal would have the tax level grow 0% in years two and three. And the problem, I think the players have short-term issues with that. And also longer term, if the tax continues to grow at a slower rate compared to revenues, eventually you're going to have more and more teams enjoy, uh, you know, revenue growth and they'll start bumping into that tax threshold, which can be an excuse to, to not spend. And it can become, something of a, a more rigid cap. Uh, baseball already has something of a soft salary cap. It doesn't affect many teams, but it, but it could become a larger uh, or a more expansive, more rigid cap over time. And that, that gap between the two proposals right now, that area is probably the, the, where the biggest fight is right now. But there's a lot of other issues too. Huh. That's probably the biggest one. I guess my, my follow-up to that would be, A, why do you think it is that owners are so harshly against a CBT increase? And it's not like it's it's got to be 
crazy significant. I mean, the players are asking for like 230, which is $10 million increase. When that only seems to affect on any given season, uh, maybe a handful of teams and kind of a secondary portion on that in the same topic here. Why do you think it is that players are focused on that instead of maybe a floor, which would seem to increase the spending for a greater number of teams than the CBT does in terms of limiting numbers of teams with their spending? Yeah, I think from a from a fan and a, from a journalist perspective, a floor would be a, a great thing because you would have it would force every team in baseball to to be more active in the off season. Even if you're doing a sort of NBA style trade where you're dumping a bad contract for a prospect, or uh, that would happen more. There'd be more trade activity, more of the mid tier free agents. They, they would have a better market. More teams would be involved. There'd be I do think a, a negative cloud around baseball is in the smaller markets. Uh, owners are viewed as uh, <laughs> probably pretty accurately as being too cheap, not willing to spend. And you just don't have that perception problem with the, in the other major sports uh, to, his, to the same degree. So a floor would solve a lot of that. Uh, and baseball did propose a cap and floor system in the summer, uh, but it would bring this, it brought the CBT down to 180 which is a no-go for players to, to go along with a hundred million dollar floor. Uh, and baseball players in the union have long rejected uh, uh, an official cap. Uh, even if it comes with the floor, they don't want a salary cap system. I think you could argue that uh, it's actually working against them now, that if they tied, if a cap and floor was tied to a percentage of revenue, they'd be better off uh, today had they agreed to that was actually proposed back in the 94 strike owners proposed that system. Uh, yeah, but players are against that. They, they would take a floor for free. Meaning if they could have the CBT be around where they're asking right now with a floor, they would, they would love that. But, uh, owners are only proposing that with a pretty big decrease to the, the tax level. So yeah, I, in theory, I think the floor would be really good for the sport, uh, from a fan consumer standpoint, uh, but the players want to protect that ceiling that they, they don't want an official cap. And that's the holdup in that area. Travis, it seems like, I mean, both sides are still very far apart. And I mean, it's been great reporting by everyone saying that after they departed in Florida, what's going to move the needle here. And, and when do you think it's going to move the needle here? Because I know both sides had their uh, lead negotiators meet earlier today, but it just doesn't seem like things are going to force either side to move anytime soon. It's interesting because the owners really, uh, the early April games are not big revenue games for owners. Uh, you know, we think about the weather in Midwest and Northeast cities that keep fans away and kids are still in school. So it's really those summer summer games, better weather weekend games, and of course a playoff TV revenue uh, and date revenue that owners care about. And uh, I believe it's 25 games in that uh, – Owners don't have to give money back to the RSNs for missing games until they get to the 25-game uh, loss uh, level in many cases. So owners can almost punt the entire first month of April and not have uh, really much economic impact from that, uh, at least directly. Where players' paychecks, you know, they're they're the same in April as they are in September. So they players are more adversely affected by losing early April games, and you know. In the short term, it, that would suggest to me that owners are going to—they're uh, not going to—they're not incentivized to give up too much in the next week or two, unless they really think uh, losing—you know—the negative PR is going to. 
hurt them longer term and hurt overall attendance and interest this year and maybe the next several. So uh, we'll see. I, I just don't think there's a lot of incentive for owners, maybe. If they're already losing six games, uh, they're probably okay losing 25. And then maybe that's the next sort of de facto deadlines is when the TV revenue started getting hit. Uh, then there's more incentive to get a deal done. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. And I, I suppose, uh, you know, now that games are probably going to be lost, unless they somehow reach a quick deal and cram more games into a shorter days in the calendar, players could. Uh, I don't I don't know if any, what was exchanged today in that sort of uh, just discussion between the two negotiators today, but it's possible players are, uh, receive they go backward a little bit and ask for more <laughs> and now you have the whole issue of players are going to want full service time and they're not going to want to subtract since this is a lockout they're not going to want to have any pay reduce this year so there's a few more negotiating wrinkles added added too so i guess it's a long-winded way of saying it's still very still very complicated that's where i wanted to go with you next because the service time and the full salaries and that becoming a fight in the not too distant future as part of these negotiations is another thing that i'm a little worried about and i i would imagine most people that want to watch baseball are worried about this because uh, let's say that they the, the owners view what you're talking about with that 25 game threshold 20 game threshold as a potential soft deadline for them or okay now we're going to start losing money now let's actually try to kind of figure this thing out that would be right around May 1st here in St. Louis, just in terms of where it is on the calendar. It's easy there. So let's say May 1st is that deadline for them. Are players then going to try to get recoup all of that money from the first month of the season that they didn't play? And if so, I mean, I, I can't imagine ownership is going to go for that. H- how much is that going to play in your mind into these negotiations? Yeah, it's a good question. And, uh, you know, the union right now is talking about taking a st- a strong stance and wanting to all not to not to lose a dollar over this. This is a lockout. You know, MLB could look at at any time, as they point out. Uh, so yeah, again, it's just it's another issue now that they have to. They already had a lot of issues to deal with, and now they have two more. And and uh, what is pay going to be prorated or not, or paid in full, and then service time, of course, uh, which for guys, you know, looking at. Being eligible for arbitration free agency soon is a is a huge deal. It could mean millions. So, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's another issue, and it, arguably they could be very significant ones. And uh, yeah, if the, the and then you just worry about if the owners really dig in, will the negotiations become uh, more contentious? I think there's already a lot of ego at play where players feel like they can't lose another CBA and they have to win back some things. Uh, they have to cut a much better deal. And, you know, I don't think Rob, I believe Rob Banford looks at himself as a great negotiator who's not going to lose a deal for owners and never has, and he's not going to lose one now. So you can see a, a lot of toxicity just building around this whole situation. We're talking to Travis Sotrick for just another minute or two here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work over at The Score. That's where he's a writer. He does excellent work for them. He's also uh, been doing some great reporting as well that you can find on his Twitter account, at Travis underscore Sawchuk, S-A-W-C-H-I-K. Travis, what's been the reaction that you've been hearing most from the player's side? What what are they saying about where things stand right now and, I mean, what the next, let's say, month or two looks like potentially from their perspective? Yeah, I think... uh... It's interesting because the players' camp, uh, it seems uh, you know, pretty unified from what we've been able to gather on the outside looking in. There are 
different factions within it. You have the superstars with the huge paychecks, the Max Scherzers, the Garrett Coles, who <laughs> every paycheck they missed, if they don't earn it back, is you know pretty significant dollar amounts. Where the pre-arbitration, the minimum salaried players, if, if it looks like they're going to get some sort of raise, and if, and if it begins with a seven, at least seven hundred thousand plus. They could miss a month of the season, and they'd be making the same income as, as last year, basically. So, they might be. You might have some players willing to be okay sitting out longer uh, because they're not losing as many, uh, you know, absolute dollars as as others. So you might have competing interests. And I know, just on Monday night when it looked like there's going to be a deal to be reached, there were uh, agents, often representing smaller level players, reaching out. <laughs> Even to me, and ask, you know, what they were frustrated that the super players had been asking for uh, the super two rate to be at eighty percent, you know, oh, ten days ago, and then uh, Monday night uh, the super two demand had been dropped at a status quo, and they're they're wondering where did that go? Why was that taken off the table? So I wonder if there's some pushback from some constituencies in the player group and agent group when some of those details are being leaked Monday night when it seemed like there's a momentum building. Uh, towards at least getting close to some deal. So, uh, and there's been reported divides in, within ownership about uh, some owners are okay with the CBT being raised, others are hardliners against it. So, uh, it could be which group can keep a more unified uh, uh, can group together that that ultimately has that ultimately comes out with a with, with a win. But uh, you know, there's a great danger of losing too much season, and it's already a sport. Uh, dealing with attendance decline in recent years and interest decline and an aging fan base. It's not a great time to, uh, to have a, a lengthy labor dispute. So hopefully both sides can reach some common ground soon. Travis, we got about 30 seconds here. I apologize for putting you on the clock, but I am very curious. The final question that I had for you, who are the, the most significant parties involved in this in your mind? Like on the player side, who do you think is the driving factor or maybe the, the couple of people that are the driving forces uh, behind these negotiations? And then on the ownership side, is there a, a like market size, a specific owner? Who, who are the guys that are having the most influence on either sides, th- sides of these negotiations in your mind? You know, a player side, I think you know, Scott Boris, at least directly or indirectly, he has on the players' executive board. Five of the eight players are Boris clients, and uh, he has, you know, so much influence over over that the player group. Uh, Bruce Meyer, lead negotiator, is obviously an important figure. Uh, ownership side, I you know, I don't uh, have a it's great a handle on who is you know driving. Uh, the, discussions there i have you know you hear that the some of the the, the pirates marlins uh some of the the lowest payroll teams have been pushing back on some issues and you wonder if uh if there's a, a voting block there that's problematic but i don't have as good a handle for the inside that block but certainly scott boris is one of the the most influential uh, voices on the player side interesting hey travis we'll be following your work man thanks so much for taking out a little bit of time to join us today to give us the latest on what's taking place with these negotiations hopefully before too long we'll be able to talk with you again about baseball actually taking place on the field <laughs> that would be great nice chatting with you thanks for having me on splash 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 Weather Repel Premium Windshield Wash features a three-in-one formula that repels rain, sleet, snow, and bugs while leaving a streak-free shine. It keeps you seeing safely all year long. Pick up some at Walmart today. See safely on the road when you apply a 